Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Hi, I'm Liel, and I am moderating our podcast today. Today's topic is whether Israel's democracy is in existential danger or threat. So I'm here with Matt and Mike, and we're going to have a little conversation about whether or not this uh, question is um, is true danger or not true danger. So can we put sound effects in this podcast? Like Ben, can we do like <laughs> bum 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 when she says about it, or is that not? <laughs> okay, thanks, man. What about thunder and yeah. lightning? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the foley. I'll be the sound effects guy. I'm like Michael Winslow from. Uh, wow, that was an old joke from Police Academy. Police Academy. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm starting now. Yeah. All right. You're starting. So. I've been thinking a lot about this topic and within our WhatsApp group for work, we've had a lot of conversations about this um, and I've spoken to a lot of family and friends, students, people on the bus, you know, the normal sort of <laughs> scene in Israel um, about the situation. And I must be honest, I'm finding it harder and harder to stay positive. My friends, my colleagues are telling me, no, no, it's all going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I don't feel like it's going to be okay. I strongly believe in this country. I love this country. I'm a committed Zionist to this country. And what's happening around me feels like that Zionism is being stripped away. Um, the idea of Jews living in a state under which they have self-determination. The way I sum it up for, for my students is if French people are going to tell French people what should happen to them and who's going to tell, who should tell Americans, they say American government, I say great. And who should tell Jews? We should have a Jewish government. And that Jewish government in my view needs to be a, d a democracy. And I think the measures which are being introduced right now, not only are those measures undemocratic, I also feel that the the fallout from what's going to happen is going to create even more trouble for us in the roads ahead. So some of the things I, I've put down in my notes is the first thing when, when I'm talking about this to my students is I say to them, okay, give me the top 10 things that you think would on your checklist of what constitutes a liberal democracy. What are the top 10 things that you think about? And then we put a checklist on the board and then we go through each of the things that they've come up with and we say, okay, well, these new measures would do this to that point and these new reforms would do that to this point, et cetera. And by the time we get to the end, there's not much left which is still standing in our checklist. So if you want to do it in a very basic sort of way like that, the democratic process is going to be severely damaged and severely hurt. That's number one. The other things I've put here are some of the things which I feel are important to me either personally or feel are important to me as a community are also under threat. It's no secret that Jews, two Jews, several opinions, but the lack of unity, the divisions which I'm feeling in society are so difficult right now that this is only going to get worse. This is not going to improve unless something changes with these reforms and with these measures. Something I spoke to some of, not the listeners, but the people in this room, some of the listeners, some of my current students are listening, or is a few weeks ago, I was at one of the protests. I, I have been attending the demonstrations, and I was at one of them. And on my way back to my car, it was in Modian. It wasn't, you know, like Modian is, anyone that knows Modian will know it's a middle-class, normal, boring <laughs> sort of place. And I was walking back to my car, and I was wearing my kippah, and I got heckled. And I got told by a group of guys, seven or eight, late teenagers, early 20-year-old guys, all wearing kippah, all wearing tzitzit, started telling me that this is not a place for religious Jews. I should take my kippah off. And because that, you were protesting the reforms. Because I was protesting the reforms. And I found that very hurtful. I didn't make aliyah 
to be told to take a kippah off. Like mm-hmm. th- that was ridiculous to me. And it was hurtful that shivim panim Torah that we can't find a way to express that other than get your kippah off. It was very absolutist to me and very hurtful. Other things which are important to me, a number of my fears are based either on things in my own observations, but also listening to people who know more about certain things than I do. I'm not an economist. I don't understand the the tech ecosystem particularly well, but I trust the people that do, and they're telling me that this is going to go bad. And I see even in financially and economics, like the day-to-day living, right? I know that costs of living are not just a result of these things, but costs of living are certainly going up and it's not helping when we have the economy being damaged by these measures. My professional life as an educator who works with diaspora Jews who are coming to Israel, I've spoken to a number of people from a number of different programs who've said that their numbers are down or mm-hmm. that there's many more questions, especially amongst our non-Orthodox students. Like, really? Why, why would I go to a place which is basically a dictatorship? Like, I, I don't want to support that. And that's very hurtful, both in terms of having people to work with and to teach, but also like the connection that the diaspora is feeling to Israel is, is being weakened as a result of some of this. The idea of being proud of our leadership, the fact that now we're having these measures passed through where soon the prime minister is allowed to get donations from whoever he wants. Like, I I don't understand. How can anybody say that that's not going to lead to corruption? And of course, corruption leads to lack of democracy. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the religious life of of the country as well, that these measures will lead to, I don't want to use the word abuse, because maybe that's not quite the right word, but will lead to measures which anybody or the the group which are in control can basically do whatever they want religiously. And we're already seeing that with, with, like we've talked in the past on our podcast about chametz in hospitals, we've had that conversation before, but things like that, where the freedom to choose what you want to do religiously is going to be slowly, slowly taken away. And some may say, oh, the slippery slope argument is not a good argument, but I feel that some of what we've heard coming out of the religious camp or the religious Zionism camp, the Haredi camp, it's just the beginning in terms of what they're trying to do to our religious life. So we have a society which is being ripped apart in terms of divisions. We have our relationship with the diaspora is is looking weaker and poorer. We're having religious life, even amongst Jews who would be Shema Shabbat, Shema Kashur, but feel that other people shouldn't have those things imposed on them. That's being weakened. Economically, we're, we're going to be suffering. And educationally, we're going to be suffering. So I'm not really sure how we could say things are looking up and looking bright. So I've still got a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's harder each day to have a smile on my face when I think about the country that I love and the process that I love and it's it's being damaged and, and I fear it's being uh, fatally damaged. So I don't know how long I went for and I've only got five minutes. I feel like I went on for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to say. There's a lot to say and a lot to feel. And uh, I'll hand over to, to Mike to tell me everything's going to be okay. All right. Because I'm not sure it is, but I, I trust Mike deeply, so hopefully he'll come. Well, I, I kind of have to just trust my instincts because one of my great joys in life is keeping smiles off Matt's face. So anything <laughs> that I say that puts it back, I feel like I'm working against myself. In all seriousness, before I, I make my statement, I guess I'm cheating on time, but listeners who are involved in education, if you play back to the beginning of Matt's opening statement and just listen to what he does in the classroom, anytime you're listening to this podcast and Matt mentions something he does in the classroom, just put it in your notes of like how to be a good classroom teacher. Matt's a master pedagogue, so I just self-reflected, so I figured I might as well say it out loud. Like, oh, those are good things to do in the classroom. Thank you. How to French people, how to, and then the writing on the board, liberal, like classroom things. Oh, so smart. Uh, Anyway, but that has nothing to do with our debate. I just wanted to say it out loud and not just think it. Yeah, listen, Matt, you paint you paint a a very dark picture, and I and I don't really disagree with your your descriptions of what's going on around us. I do think that you're missing 
two, one current events set of perspectives. And then the other is, I think you're, you're looking at too small a chunk of the timeline. Contemporarily, you are leaving out the response of Israelis in working out against this, these reforms and, and, and all the things that you're describing as negative. All around the world, democracies are going through a really hard time right now. And governments are facing strange structural challenges and populations are seeing themselves as ununified. Israel is no exception to the great democratic recession that we're going through right now. I don't know how any of us in the short term will turn out in, in these sets of challenges. And everything you're describing is is deeply problematic. But in terms of the, the contemporary perspective, you have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelis really pushing back. And the protest movement against this government's plans is unlike anything Israel's ever seen before. And, and you know, it's a 75-year-old country. So, But if you go back to the great moments of debate, even, even the debate over disengagement or the debate over Oslo or the debate over German reparations or, or Lebanon, I mean, the great debate moments yeah. in Israeli history, you've never seen anything like this. The equivalent in the States would be millions of Americans out on the street for two months. That's That's astonishing. And this is something that my son-in-law mentioned to me. He said, I think the right really thought that they were the only Zionists left. That, you know, the Tel Aviv secular Israelis, they're not really Zionists anymore. They're just trying to make a living. They don't really care about Israel. And the fact that the symbol of the protest movement is the Israeli flag is a reminder to all that Israeli Zionists, in the sense of what Israel has always been, hasn't gone anywhere. The fact that the right is ascendant politically and controls the government and doesn't mean that the that the character of Israel's Declaration of Independence, which demands a Jewish state with a democratic character, isn't essentially important to an enormous number of Israelis. There's a sign when you're coming in Jerusalem in, uh, in Kiryat Moshe. It's a pro, this program sign. There's, neg you know, there's fight dictatorship signs, and then there's we're behind you in, you know, in, this, in these reforms. And it says, the whole country is behind you. 2,800,000 voters voted for you the right to do this program. Like, I'm like, guys, do you not notice the inherent contradiction in your little sign? Which isn't little, it's a huge sign. And it says, <laughs> the whole country is behind you. A third of the country voted for you. Okay, so the whole country's not behind you. By the way, even Likud voters, almost half of Likud voters don't think that this current process is being run correctly according to polls. That's, I find, very empowering. And, it, and it's an enormous shock, perhaps, to some of the government members. Good to wake them up and see that Israelis who believe in democracy are still Zionists. And so for me, obviously, this is, this is certainly a painful and difficult moment in tensions and, and anger and, and hostility. And I, I don't want to minimize the moment we're in, but I also don't want to over-dramatize the moment we're in. All countries go through dark moments, dark periods. Listen, and Israel has gone through many. Whether you want to look at it as a Jewish history, have the Jews been in crisis before? Uh-huh. Does this rank up in the top 10, top 20? I don't think so. Has the state of Israel been in crises before? Uh-huh. Does this rank up in the top 10 or top 20 existential crisis to the nature of the state of Israel? Maybe. Maybe it is. But we've gone through before. And I, I don't see a reason not to be optimistic. When you're giving, you know, those concrete things that are part of a liberal democracy, are our elections changing? Well, in the next election, we'd be able to vote people out of office. Yeah. 
Yeah. Can I go in the street and say, well, this is terrible. Well, yeah. Yeah, you can. If those things are in place, if there's basic civil freedom and we get to elect our leaders, I don't think that democracy is an existential threat. I think that that the structure behind it, the checks and balances being under existential threat is scary. But guess what? After this government, we're going to have another government. And if the extreme provocateurs in the government now don't lose their attractiveness to the Israeli voters, because here's what happens in democracies. People often claim that one of the problems of democracies is everybody votes, and most people aren't experts at civics or political science. And so you're asking people to vote, they don't know what they're doing. That's true, but it is human instinct to look at the people in charge. It is human instinct, and it's certainly Israeli instinct, to complain about the things you don't like, hold the leaders accountable, whether they are or not, and then throw them out of office. And so what happens in democracy is a pendular leadership where... This side takes, that side takes, this side takes, and nobody holds on to power forever. There's always the next day in politics. Unless your name is Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> Even Benjamin Netanyahu is not forever. And I would argue there have been many different Benjamin Netanyahu's as prime minister. Mm. He's gone through a bunch of different models because he has to ride the wave of the moment. Right now he's riding this, I would argue, anti-democratic right-wing wave. Okay, that too shall pass. That too shall pass. You live to fight another day, which is why it is important in any election to say, this isn't the end of the world. We lost this battle. We're going to keep fighting. Nobody wins the war. It's not even a war. It's a constant struggle democratically, and passions are raised. And at the end of the day, I believe that the, the Israeli sense of unity will prevail and we'll get through this and live to fight another day and have another exhausting, you know, life-draining battle in the future over something else that will trouble us. I think this is these are the these are the times that that try men's souls and you know only the summer patriot and the blah blah blah. I I think if being a patriot means we'll make it through the hard times, and and we'll be okay. So that's my opening statement. I also don't know how long I went. You're both good. Okay. Um, wow. Thank you both for sharing. I feel like there are so many things that I could have responded to in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I do have some questions. So Matt, I'm going to start with you. You talked about the tear that's in society right now and the threat we have to democracy. And also you talked about this lack of pride in leadership. So I guess my question to you, and there's a few questions, so ch choose kind of how you want to answer or what you want to answer. But do you think there ever really was a healthy balance between Jewish and democratic in this country? Because it seems to me that that's something that we've really always constantly struggled with and are struggling with. And also, do you think the country will become a more Middle Eastern state? And when I say that, I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking recently is I look around at our neighborhood and I say to myself, wow, okay, well, we always say and claim to be the only democracy in the Middle East. Are we too entrenched with our neighborhood now that maybe becoming a post-democratic state or a not-democratic or something that looks different or that is different to be more like our neighbors? And, and I, that could go that could be in a million different ways for the good and maybe for the bad. So the, my question is basically, are we supposed to be a democratic state? Is the Jewish state supposed to be a democratic state, especially when the people who are loud right now, especially in our government and supporting our government, they're not necessarily from the Western world, right? They're more aligned with um, the neighborhood that we live in. So, okay, I hope I'll address everything. If if I leave something out, let me know because, uh, as you said, there was a, a lot there. Yeah. 
what I what I taken from what you're asking was was two big things was the Jewish and democracy mm-hmm. and was taking have we absorbed the habits mm-hmm. of the neighborhood okay right. so in terms of Jewish and democracy look that's an issue which I think a lot about this whole idea of religion and state and what does it mean to be Jewish and democratic if you want to say that Jewish just means demographics that we're a majority Jewish for now we're that right okay we are that then of course you get into questions well how are you defining Jewish? Who is a Jew? Right? Those sorts of things. Okay, but just to leave that to the side for now. But we are a Jewish. We are a Jewish state, at least uh, demographically, and those demographics are then reflected not a hundred percent, but more or less in the Knesset, like the, who, who's sitting in the Knesset, and how at least Jewishly versus non-Jews. Right? Okay, Haredim, etc. We'll put to the side for that. And being the Jewish majority reflects itself in the culture and the language and all the things that we have as part of living in the state of Israel. So. Do I think we're a Jewish state? Yes. Do I think we're a democracy? Until a couple of weeks' time from now. Um, yes, I do think we're a democracy. Based some of the principles that Mike was discussing, but also like the fact that we have, for now, we have freedom to assemble and freedom of speech, and we can vote for our leaders and things like that. Of course, if the rules keep changing, and eventually the rules get changed to say, oh yeah, you can vote for one candidate or something like that, that's sort of what happens in our neighborhood. When you say we're absorbing the idea of the, the ideas of the neighborhood, there are, there are elections in, in mm-hmm. Middle Eastern countries, they're just not always <laughs> free. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that something that I can see happening here? Unfortunately, it is, but I would actually refer to a slightly different model rather than saying we've absorbed the habits of the Middle East because on the street, the culture is definitely Middle Eastern, right? right. The whole idea of shaking your fingers at people <laughs> or uh, yelling at people, and right, that, that's very Middle Eastern, the negotiation, negotiating like living in a shuk all the time. That's all Middle Eastern, but I know... For me, for example, when I've been going to the, the protests, the examples which are being given by the protesters are not we're turning into Egypt, not we're turning into Jordan or anything like that, but that we're turning into Poland and Hungary and places like that. So, and Mike was talking about the breakdown in democracies globally and, and, and how this is not a phenomenon which is unique to Israel, certainly not. And it's unfortunate for the justice minister, Yeriv Levin, that his name rhymes with Pauline, hmm. because one of the pop, which is Poland, because one of the popular chants is Yerv Levin, Zelo Pauline. But I, I, I think the way that we're going, it's not necessarily that we're absorbing more into our neighborhood, but more we, we are. We're catching a disease, if you want to call it that, of anti democratic values, but we're catching it from other places as well Hungary, Poland. It was tried in, in America. America managed to vaccinate itself strongly enough, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or fight the virus um, enough. It's still fighting. America's still. Yeah. yeah but. The, the first challenges it had, at least, let's say, mm-hmm. it, it managed to, to resist. But in terms of also that Jewish and democratic, just to come back to that, there are clearly areas of our lives in Israel where it's not 100% democratic, or democratic is not the right word here. Um, we don't have exactly freedom of choice. Right? Mm-hmm. The idea that there's no civil marriage, for example, in Israel is, is, is the biggie, or one of the biggies. We don't have state-issued civil marriage. Second. We don't have state-issued civil marriage, right. although non-state-issued civil marriage is recognized. Correct, right. So that's the problem. So that's like one one biggie here. Another one, and something that the previous government tried to address was the how kashrut is regulated, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Those are still done according to a very narrow definition, but that is, that's something which some sectors of society want to work on. What the current government want to do, I, I feel like, is they want to narrow further those definitions, right? To really squeeze out any other... Options. We saw that recently when they were trying to change how things were going to happen with the cartel, and then they had to backtrack part of that as well. Because they had to backtrack. In other words, I know what their plans are, but you're you you think they have a shot at being long term successful? 
I do. I don't. So, so see that that's I guess what where I'm feeling like it's hard for me to smile, and you, and you're feeling optimistic. But I do. Uh, think all the evidence is... points to they just can't pull this garbage off because the people won't stand for it. But wait, Mike, let me ask you a question because mm-hmm. you said the pendulum is swinging, right? And mm-hmm. here it's swung pretty far, but. My question to you is, okay, so let's say this pendulum swings back Mm -hmm. in the next election. There's always another election, like you said. Great. But take into consideration our demographics of the population. Mm -hmm. Who's growing the fastest? The people who are growing the fastest are more or less the people who are going to continue voting for these kinds of governments. They'll vote for right-wing governments. Okay. But they're not going to vote for... Ben Gvir and Smotrich getting 10 seats is, is, I would predict, and and I I hate to predict on the podcast because it's recorded and you can prove me wrong. That's not only as big as they're going to get, but they're never going to be that big again. And so you're going to have, you know, a Likud-led coalition that maybe will have to work together with, let's say, Gantz's or even Lapid's party mm-hmm. so that it'll be right-leaning. But these sorts of extreme things and exactly the type of civil religious civil liberties that Matt's talking about are going to be off the table. I mean, Bibi consistently tells not only foreign journalists, but domestic journalists. Yeah, we're not going to do any of that. We're not we're not taking away LGBTQ rights. What's his name? Maor from Noam, the the anti the homophobe. Avi Maoz. Avi Maoz. He's he's oh he quit and now he's going to quit again and he's going to triple quit and quadruple quit because nobody listens to him and yeah, yeah of course. You're in you're 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 way you're not in the 21st century at all. Of course everybody's ignoring you. I don't know why you thought anybody would ever listen to you. And so to me, all these, the, 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 the swing and the miss of everything that you're describing, I'll, I'll be worried when they swing and hit the ball. But every time they swing and miss, and who's protesting that Avi Maoz has now quit for the second time in the same position, which doesn't, and he's going to really quit again next time if you don't give him, what? Well, and everybody just laughs at him. By the way, Ben Gvir supporters are mad at Ben Gvir. Smotrich supporters are mad at Smotrich. They're losing popularity not just among the right-wing, more moderate electorate who said, let's take a shot at the extremists and see if that helps, who I'm sure they're going to lose in the next election. They're losing their own base, who say, you're not doing what you said. You promised us you could end all terrorism, and there's still terrorism still exists. Wow, it turns out that the promise that if you elect me, all terrorism will stop, turns out that wasn't a realistic promise to make. And their voters, whether they understand that they made the mistake— or that the guy who they voted for can't really deliver, this this trend shall pass. And so demographically, you right now have a hegemony of the right. By the way, Benjamin Netanyahu should live and be well till 120. And I, I you know, I, I'm not voting for him, but I, I don't wish ill to the man and certainly respect his many accomplishments. But he's not here forever. He's in his 70s. Well, with this new legislation <laughs> he's trying to pass, he might be. Well... He too shall shuffle off this mortal coil and move on from the world. So, like, there's no—he's not eternal. Mm-hmm. What's Lee could like without? What is this right-wing coalition like without B.B. holding it together? I don't know. So, so, so in other words, we're bad at predicting what's going to happen. Other than it won't look like this, and so the right having prominence in Israeli politics—that I think you're right. You can foresee for a while because until the left, look at how they did in this. They did much better in the previous round of elections. They did in the last one because they made terrible mistakes. They didn't work together. They didn't brand. They didn't communicate. What what will Israel look like now after all this? When moderate leaders, center leaders, center right, center left start saying. Do you really want this chaos in your country? I mean, look at the dysfunction in politics. I think I think we're in for the pendulum will switch to an era away from the wacky ideologues promising the impossible and towards the pragmatists who say, why don't we just, you know, we got enough problems. Why don't we address those? 
instead of picking fights that nobody wants to have. My, my question to you on that then, Mike, is so far, we've only had, as far as we know, one liquid member of Knesset, Yuli Edelstein, mm-hmm. who hasn't, he hasn't even come out strongly against the A reforms. few, a few. There's murmurs from within, some are off the record, some are on the record. Correct. We don't like but, how this is going. But we haven't had anybody actually stand up and say, yeah, let's have a liquid chadashah or something. Let's start a new... No, of course, because Bibi's still here. Right. But the damage that could be done, yeah, I, I feel like... Can be undone by the next government. I'm not sure. For, exa- for, for, for example, some things are so structural, or if you change the structure so significantly, it's not going to look like... You're not playing by the same rules anymore. And some, for example, like Leo was talking about the, the demographics. Mm. If you have a generation, say, for example, of Haredi kids, mm-hmm. and then two generations of Haredi kids who can barely speak a word of English, can't do basic math, can't do basic, don't know any basic science, mm-hmm. you are putting together a situation where you cannot change Wait, that. Are you worried about the current crisis or are you worried about voters 30 years from now where the Haredi community hasn't changed, everything stayed exactly the same, only with bigger numbers? That's a whole other conversation. But I'm, I'm I don't worried. think the Haredi world is going to be static in the next 30 years. I'm worried. But that, that, the, that has nothing to do with today's politics. Well, I think today's politics enable that to happen. That's what I'm concerned about as well. That today's politics are going to so firmly entrench a situation where we're not going to change, be able to change because of the demographics. That's why our pendulum is different from an American pendulum or from a wherever pendulum because it's not just about political ideology and political views. It's let me, also let me give you an imaginary religion, crystal ball, okay? demographics, who's more, who's less. That, that counts, especially in a system... I'm not saying this is going to happen. I know, but especially in a system where we have proportional representation, that's another big difference, right? Oh, there's 15% of the population are under the guidance of whatever Rebbe or whatever Imam or whatever it is. Oh, and that they're having more kids and they're growing is going to change things, not just ideologically, Let me describe to you, Matt, a crystal ball five years from now. Okay. A new government is in. Bibi has left politics. He's retired. And in, in Boca, having no, I think he'll early, still, early uh, bird in, K- in Caesarea. He'll okay. retire to his mansion in, in Caesarea. Okay. okay. The new government repeals the the rules passed here and establishes fair play rules. By the way, there I don't know any Israeli I've ever talked to who says the way the courts and the judicial system working is fair. We have to create a better system. So they say, we're going to start that process. They also say, when they're running, they say, look, we're Likud. Why don't we join with Gans? Why don't we make a center? Israelis, do you want the Haredi parties in the government? Or do you feel that the Haredi sector needs to not be in power? Empower these. We're opponents. We'll work on different issues. But empower us to, to, to make a unity government. Five years from now, that's going to sound great to Israelis who are sick, not only of having traffic spoiled by protesters, but being the protester has to spoil traffic and missing work and everybody's going to be exhausted in five years. We're going to bring you quiet and stability and normalcy by leaving out the extremists. So if you vote for these parties, we already tell you before election day, we will form a coalition of 65 seats of center parties that will agree to work together despite our differences and come to compromise. And that will sweep the Israeli electorate. And so you'll have a stable government of 65 seats. Is that an unlikely scenario, would you say? I'm trying to think about it. I will tell you, I I would argue, that is a much more likely scenario than the 10 to 15% of the population that's Haredi controlling Israeli life and culture without a a, a revolution in the streets. Because the other 85, 90% of Israelis are like, 
you guys, you can't keep doing this. You can't hold us hostage. We are paying your bills through welfare, and you can't keep telling us how to live our lives. It's already a hot-button political issue. There have in the past been parties that got elected to office on that issue. Right. And when that issue, and, when, and this is what happens in a democracy, because the voters aren't civically thinking about the system, they're thinking about the moment, they lose track on the past. But as this government keeps hitting them over the head. And as Arya Derry and Shas fight to make it legal for criminals to be in the Knesset, as I was saying off mic before to Liel, like, you're not embarrassed to be a religious party fighting to allow criminals to, to hold office? <laughs> and that's your platform? Yeah. Do you think the Israeli voters aren't going to punish them for that? Do you think politicians on the center and left who run against that aren't going to bring voters to the polls? Like, this is what happens. Once one side wins the battle and they go, now it's ours, they overreach, they lose the voters, and it goes to the other pendulum, which then overreaches, and it swings back. And as a, as a person who thinks about systems and civics, you get frustrated. But that's the pendulum, man. So I, I respect what you're saying. I guess one thing that I, I would say about it though and is one of my other concerns i mentioned earlier was like the division of, of the people right the when we're not united what do you call it the split between the groups right mm. the, the thing what you're describing i think would exacerbate that unfortunately like if you're going to have cat parties like of for course. example years ago when we had uh yay lapid's father tommy lapid who, tommy who, lapid who was that was the party of, i was thinking of who was in charge of the shinui party yeah shinui their campaign and their posters. I remember I was in Israel at the time. He made it to office on the issue of we have to f defeat the Haredim. But it, the, the the rhetoric yeah. was so disgusting yeah. and so painful. That they ultimately so, failed. Is, is that the way that we want our pendulum to get pushed by somebody who's coming out with that sort of stuff? I don't want that either. Like That's why I'm not sure where the Matt, it's like the rule of respecting is. your parents. You can always do better and you're never perfect. And there's always more to do. If you're saying that the tone of anger and division in the Israeli street is sharper and harder than it should be, I would ask you, when was it better? When Ben-Gurion was shooting at, at Begin on the Altalena? Like right. what? Like, like that's an old problem. But when push comes to shove and there are scuds or there are, God forbid, rockets from Gaza or whatever it is, this is a people that gets it. We're in the same boat. So I agree with you. 100% that part of being in a civil society means being civil and respectful to the people you disagree with and treating them as people you love and countrymen. I agree with you. That's not a, if that's a threat to democracy, Israel's never been a democracy. <laughs> and we'll get, will we get better? We'll go through waves. We, after Rabin was murdered, there was a real accounting and people said they weren't going to take accounting, but there was a real change in rhetoric because there was this awareness. Well, you know what? 1995 was long enough ago that you now have a generation of politicians who forgot. And you have a generation of people on the streets who forgot. I hope we don't have to have a tragedy to relearn the lesson. I don't think we need to touch the burning stove to realize that it's on. But these, these things are waves, too. These things are waves, too. Mm -hmm. This, too, shall pass, guys. Um, I just want to say this was a, is an incredibly important conversation. So mm -hmm. thank you for both for having this conversation. Although, can I just point out and interrupt you as the moderator? Sure. Why is it that in our little colleagues group, it's always the Brits who are the incredible pessimists <laughs> and the American Olim who who keeps saying, why are you guys panicking? What is that? Yeah. I don't know. I can hop on Matt's side for, for this okay. one. And I'm not British. Um, but Matt, thanks for, for sharing thank you. the real concerns and Mike for sharing your optimism with us. And... Uh, We'll move forward and see. Yep.
Time will tell. It's not boring here, that's for sure. That's, that's for, sure. for sure. Interesting times. Thanks, Leo. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.